Today on Ag News Daily. We need the, to have kind of easy access to those experts because on a beautiful day like we have here in central Iowa today when I want to be planting corn, I don't want downtime. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Tech Tuesday day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Delaney Howell joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. And Mike, we saw crop progress planting report come out yesterday. Did you get a chance to check that out? I didn't, Delaney. Why don't you bring us up to speed? Yeah, I'd like to, just because I know weather is top of mind to a lot of folks and where we're really sitting out in the fields here. Looks like corn overall is 6% planted versus 12% is our normal pace here by this time for our five-year average. Soybeans, not much behind pace. Pretty early for that still. Uh, 1% versus 2% for the five-year average. Spring wheat is the big loser here, and I think the question of acreage and maybe shifts in acreage remains here. Spring wheat is only 5% planted versus the five-year average of 22%. Ooh, boy. Yeah, a little behind. Yeah, just a, just a slight bit. Yeah, but it's not doing much in the markets for no, the wheat growers. It's but. Not. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. All right. So that's what we got. We're at 50% of uh, corn planting. What did you say soybeans were at? We're not at 50% of corn planting. You said 6%. Usually we're at 12. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I thought you meant we were 50% complete. And I was like, Mike, oh, did you just listen? <laughs> good Good correction. Good correction. Okay. Yes. A little clarification there. Yes. All right. Well, there we go, folks. But I almost think, Delaney, we are going to see those numbers jump up quite a bit. Yeah. As we uh, roll forward into this next week, Uh, I'm definitely seeing a lot more folks out there running. Mm -hmm. We are seeing, uh, you know, the American farmer do what the American farmer does, which is put a crop in the ground and then come fall, get that sucker out. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Well, I've got just a little bit of a story here, and it's kind of interesting. I'm still doing some digging. But there is now a hotline put together down in Brazil. Uh, basically, a grain growers association has launched a hotline to encourage farmers to report practices on the part of Bayer that could be anti-competitive. Um, basically, they're trying to run an awareness campaign, and they're trying to make sure that Bayer – doesn't act as a monopoly down there in Brazil. And so if, if you're a grower and you see them, you know, I guess I, I don't know what they could see. That's what I don't quite understand with this thing. But, uh, yeah, just a weird story there. It does sound like perhaps mm-hmm. legal action will be brewing against Bayer down in Brazil, I think is the, uh, the headline from this. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of a weird story, huh? Yeah, it's very bizarre. And so, listeners, I'll, I'll keep doing some digging. Brazilian listeners, I know we've got you out there. If you are seeing some anti-competitive practices by Bayer, uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at Ag News Daily. Uh, we know we've got listeners down there. Maybe yep. they could shed some light on it. Maybe. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, I've got a, two pieces of news here related to lawsuits dealing with agriculture. The first one here is a lawsuit that has been going on in Indiana at various levels of their court system. I'm going to try to walk through this as clear as possible. Essentially, back in 2013, a family farm went through all of the necessary and legal permissions to get permits from the county, the state, etc., to build some pig barns. 
on existing farmland. And following that, a group of their neighbors filed a lawsuit against the farmers and said that the farm was a lot was a nuisance. It was being operated negligently and it caused odors that constituted a trespass. So this lawsuit went through essentially three levels of courts. It uh, was finally upheld today in the Court of Appeals, the Right to Farm Act in Indiana. Um, of course, those neighbors have another 45 days to petition to the uh, Indiana Supreme Court to get the case transferred there and you know appeal it, etc. But I think this is very interesting because I think we're going to see a lot more lawsuits like this come about. And I think that if this were to make it all the way to the Supreme Court, which let's hope it doesn't, but I think that that will set the pace for other cases coming up in the future of folks that, you know, put in these lawsuits. So essentially, they said it fails to meet the Right to Farm Act's requirements. They said that the CAFO would be a nuisance. And they said that since their homes were there before the hog farm existed, the Right to Farm Act should not apply. So the recent, the most recent ruling here found that because this ground has been used for agricultural purposes since at least 1941, and those neighbors' house has not been there since 1941, the neighbors knowingly built their home in an agricultural area, and they said that that was enough for the right to act, right to farm act, apply. And I, I think that that's a good step in the right direction, showing that you know that this type of law is going to be upheld at a hopefully a national level if it ever makes it to that. Okay, interesting. And you know what? That just seems like common sense. If right. you're going to build a house in the country, especially in a place that has historically raised livestock, well, folks, that was the that was the maybe one of their pieces of contention is it had previously been used as a crop farm, and then they wanted to switch it and grow or raise hogs. Well, yeah, but I mean historically, you know, we've raised hogs and cattle across the right. corn belt, you know, going back to the 1800s um and you know animals they they poop outside (laughs) they have sex outside they do all of these things out in the natural world and these things sometimes create odors if you build Mm -hmm. a house in that area you get the view you get the peaceful countryside setting and you know maybe a few days a year you're gonna smell some poo Mm mm-hmm yeah. I, like I said, I just think it's, what's the word? I'm trying to think of it. Oh my gosh, I should know it. But when you establish. Precedent. Precedent. Thank you. I think if it makes it to the Supreme Court, it will establish precedent for future nuisance lawsuits. All right. Well, we'll just have to keep an eye on this one. It'll be a slow burn, whatever yeah, it does, before I, these things yeah. roll on to the, uh, the final legal end. And another lawsuit that's Kind of having a slow burn is the ag-gag lawsuit filed in Iowa, Mike. Have you been keeping up with that one? You know, I haven't. I remember when they filed it, and then Mm -hmm. I haven't paid much attention since. So the state enacted legislation last month um, after this coalition of animal rights and environmental groups came together 
They won a decision back in January. Now this same group is challenging Iowa's latest attempt to enact a law prohibiting activists from conducting undercover investigations. Of course, citing the First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this well, new, the First Amendment's kind of a no, big deal. I know, I know. But this is the law that they're trying to say it goes against the First Amendment. The law essentially creates a new crime called agricultural production facility trespasses, which makes it illegal for a person to gain access to an agricultural production facility through deception if the person intends to cause an injury to the business interest of the facility. Okay. And here's my question, because I know we also have some legal listeners who Mm -hmm. tune in. Why isn't it if if I lie and get a job at a hog farm mm-hmm. and then shoot some undercover video, why isn't that fraud? I mean, shouldn't it already right. be a crime? I don't know why we have to create a new well, class of crime. The thing that I don't understand either, and this is maybe getting into a rabbit hole a little bit, but like Chick-fil-A, I think we've talked about this too. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and all those groups, they can govern certain ways because they're Christian businesses, right? So they can decide not to offer Planned Parenthood or whatever birth control on their health care plans. They can not be open on Sundays, etc. But why can't we as ag businesses follow a different set of rules as well? You know, Delaney, you're bringing religion into this. I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm going to let you just dig your hole there. I, it's, I'm not necessarily trying to compare it to religion. I'm just saying... Why aren't we governed in different ways, too? Or why can't we be? Well, yeah. That's, That's all. I'm done. I'm done okay. on my soapbox today. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, it was a, it was a good soapbox. So, legal listeners, uh, tell us why we need these things in the first place. Why isn't it already covered under existing mm-hmm. law? I, I just don't understand that. I don't know. Well, let's see. We're talking about uh, news coming across the Corn Belt. We do have an update from the Creighton University Rural Main Street Index. In March, it rose to its highest level since December of last year. Uh, the index expanded to 52.9 from 50, and basically 50 is growth neutral. So it looks like we're growing again in rural America. And this is according to uh, bank CEOs across a 10-state region. Um, there were some concerns about the flooding. Obviously, folks from Nebraska and western Iowa were definitely not as optimistic about the future as they look out on the, uh, the boy, just the, the standing water that still exists across much of that place. And overall, everybody's expectations were sort of tempered by the fact that we still have commodity prices that kind of suck. And probably will until we get a trade agreement. Yeah. And hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll turn some things around. Yeah. Well, I hate to uh, put some more bad news on that, but in talking about tariffs and whatnot, We saw a group of U.S. ag businesses, some of those included farmers and farm businesses, but essentially write this letter after some research that I think they did on their own. Uh, The article doesn't say for sure, but looking at the effects that all Americans have had because of these tariffs um, with China and and Mexico and the EU and Canada, etc., 
They said to date, Americans have paid over $21 billion in taxes due to the imposition of new tariffs. And what's even crazier, in my opinion, is every second that we have these tariffs adds another $1,500 in taxes that Americans have to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listeners, we need to remember tariffs we put on stuff are taxes on ourselves. Right. It's not being paid by China. It's being paid by us if we buy anything from China. Yeah. And uh, yeah, gosh, that, those are some staggering numbers. Mm-hmm. I know. I thought so, too, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll start to get this thing turned around and mm-hmm. uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely. OK, Mike, I've got one other piece of news here because I know this is one of your soapboxes. So I've had my time to oh. rant. <laughs> do, All right. Do you got any guesses for what it is? CRP. No. Try again. Uh, I, I, I've got so many things uh, that put All a right. burr under my saddle. CRP Delaney, is which one is your this? first one? Um, plant based foods and labeling of plant based foods like oh, food products. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So the Plant Based Foods Association is releasing more than 7,000 public comments that have been submitted to the FDA about the term or the usage of dairy terms for plant based milk products such as almond milk. So the review found that 76% of those 7,000 commenters were in favor of continuing to allow for dairy terms in labeling of plant-based products. The analysis also looked at, you know, like, do people understand the difference, etc. And 87% of commenters specifically identified themselves as consumers and said that they're not confused by the differences between plant-based dairy alternatives and foods that are made from actual animal milk. Okay, so 75% of people are in favor of still allowing nut juice to be called yep. milk. <laughs> milk, yep. That's the, that's the headline. And 87% of consumers say that they understand the differences between nut juice and milk. You know, and I'm willing to believe that they do. I think they all understand that if they're buying soy milk, it's not coming from a cow. Mm -hmm. The concern I have is that as soon as it gets labeled milk, I as a consumer think it maybe has the same health qualities or nutrition qualities Mm -hmm. as dairy milk. And we know it doesn't. And so that's the area where I don't know. I don't know how you test for that, like in a survey or something. I don't. Yeah. But. I'm sure there are smarter people than me who can figure something out. Yeah, probably not you. Right. No, yeah, no. I'm, <laughs> That's out no, of your forte. I'm a podcast host. There you go. That's right. <laughs> um, I've just got a press release here coming from Culver's. Delaney, are you a fan of Culver's? Yes, Culver's is my one guilty pleasure for fast food. Yes, I'm a big fan of Culver's. I love uh, their I ice have. cream. Oh. Yeah, I love everything at Culver's. I know. And I think those of us in agriculture uh, have another reason to love Culver's. They are huge mm-hmm. proponents. They're huge. They're very big into highlighting where their food comes from. Yep. And uh, so in the – actually starting this Friday, Culver's is doing across all their social media platforms a hashtag Farming Fridays uh Thing. And so for the next four Fridays, let me see, the next four months, they are going to have farmers and ag influencers kind of take over their social media and talk about what it is they do. And I know Culver's is a huge following uh, social media wise, so this could be a good way to 
teach more people about what happens in the field and in the dairy barn and in the hog barn and on the feedlot um, across ag, which I think is pretty cool. That is really cool. They do a really good job of doing like on-farm dairy days and sponsoring stuff like that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they just, I think Culver's does mm-hmm. a really good job of bringing the work of agriculture into the public eye, yeah. which is always something very cool. And they're often sponsors at big events like National FFA convention, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, you got to grow that next generation. That's right. Feed them Culver's. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am all out of news, Delaney. What do you have for us? That was pretty much all I had too. And I know we have commodity markets coming up and they did not close so pretty, especially the soybean markets today. Yeah. Soybeans are an ugly situation. But what do you say? Should we rip this bandaid off and see what we got? Let's do it. All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can give them a holler anytime. Get some advice and some assistance managing your marketing risk. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, we do have some red here on the screen, especially in corn and beans. The uh, July corn contract closed down three and a quarter cents at 360 and a quarter. December new crop down two and three quarters to finish at 379 and three quarters. Soybeans really took it on the chin. July beans down 15 and a quarter cents on the day, closed at 875 and a half. November new crop down 13 and a half to finish at 896 and a quarter. And perhaps the uh, planting report did put a little wind behind the uh, wheat sales. We have the July contract climbing three and a quarter cents at 4.45 even. December up three cents to finish at 4.68 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, mixed trade across the cattle complex. The June live cattle contract down 45 cents at 121.1250. August down 57.5 at 118.20. In feeder cattle, the August contract was up 7.5 cents at 159.70, with the September also up 7.5 cents to close at 160.85. And weakness again today in the lean hog market. May lean hogs down $1.20 at 87.82.5, with the June down $1.40 to finish at 92.37.50. And, of course, let's take a look at our friends in the dairy market. The May Class 3 milk contract was up a nickel on the day. That strength has continued, finishing at 1587, with the June up four cents to bring us to 1608 for the close. Delaney, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to our Tech Tuesday discussion for the day? I would love to. I had a really great discussion the other day with Casey Neiman from AgriSync, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's a really cool interactive app aimed at farmers and retailers alike. So let's kick it off here to my conversation with Casey. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, I'm excited. We're talking to Casey Neiman, who is the founder of AgriSync. Casey, before we talk about the company and how you founded it, how you got started and whatnot. I, I want to talk about where you're located and kind of the story behind that, because I think that makes you guys a really unique company. We are. And thank you, Delaney, for having us on. Longtime listener, uh, excited to be on and uh, appreciate the great work that you guys do with the program. Uh, we're based in Waukee at the Waukee Apex Innovation Center. And uh, as I was sharing briefly with you, the 
a few years ago, as Waukee and the school district was growing, they decided to create kind of a public-private partnership where they would take some of the top talent in the Waukee school district and give them learning opportunities that were closer to business scenarios. So the school district uh, kind of opened the doors to business partners in hopes that those business partners would come in and speak to a class or you know mentor students. And we have been very fortunate to be part of that ecosystem. We're actually based here in the Waukee Apex facility. And so uh, we, uh, being a tech company, uh, we work closely with students that are interested in software and technology, and then also the ag sciences uh, students um, and the FFA program. So both myself and partner are both uh, FFA alumni, and we've got a number of members of our team who, you know, grew up on farms and had experiences in, uh, with great ag education programs when they grew up. So it makes it a fun opportunity for us to mentor students, uh, but also have a great place to work, to grow and to innovate. And uh, we're fortunate to be here in the cultivation corridor in central Iowa. And for us as a young company, um, we partner with a lot of the larger ag companies and, you know, obviously they're here in central Iowa and it gives us a great place to host and to uh, engage with them as well. So, and I think we should, you mentioned central Iowa. So Waukee, for those of our listeners that don't know Iowa geography very well is a suburb and West of Des Moines or Western suburb of Des Moines. So obviously a pretty urban area. Casey, I promise we're going to talk about AgriSync here and what you guys do in just a second, but I want to ask you one more question in working with high school students in an urban area like Waukee, do you get a lot of students that are interested in agricultural sciences and want to do stuff and partner with you guys and work with you guys? We do. You know, it's it's interesting. When you talk to young people today, there's always an interest in technology. There's always an interest in STEM-related uh, coursework uh, because they see that as the future. And I think part of our opportunity as a company and our opportunity to engage with young people is to encourage them to think broadly about careers in agriculture. Um, and so certainly in an urban school district, you know, there's always opportunities to educate and engage. But I think what people see when they see technology applied in agriculture is the practical application of it, right? And here in central Iowa and throughout the Midwest, we you know, are blessed to have, in our case, our customers right here in our backyard. And so it also helps us create technology that's valuable. You know, um, I know you have a number of, of guests on the show, and one of the things that you guys try to do is find technology that's practical, that farmers would use, that producers would gain value from. And I think for us, being based here in the Cultivation Corridor, being based in central Iowa, it's really given us a a really practical lab, if you will, to not be far from our customers. And that's helped us uh, certainly iterate and uh, innovate in this space that we're passionate about around customer service. Yeah, so let's talk about some of your passions. Casey, um, how did you come up with the idea to create AgriSync? And then, and then give us maybe the 10,000-foot view of what you guys really do. Yeah, so um, I actually was in the... I grew up on a farm in Kansas and uh, worked briefly as a agronomy uh, technical services person. And then I spent about 15 years at Microsoft and I was kind of the farm kid, if you will, at Microsoft. <laughs> That's and neat. Through that, I, got to, I got to work with a lot of big companies in the Midwest, uh, the big platform companies that you think about. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of them were adopting technology as a core part of their offering. And we see that today, right? A lot of the major companies have got offerings, most of them focused in on data, drones, telematics, agronomic decision-making, all great technologies. And if you talk to most farmers, they're thrilled to have those big companies investing in that from an R&D perspective. I also realized on our own family farm, we had plenty of technology Where we had a shortage was on the people side, the human element. We needed people to help us adopt that technology. We needed people to help us troubleshoot those issues. And a lot of times on the farm, we're miles away, right, from those experts. And we need to have kind of easy access to those experts because on a beautiful day, like we have here in central Iowa today, when I want to be planting corn, I don't want downtime. I don't want frustration with some new product or new technology. And so out of that concern was really where AgriSync was born. So I departed uh, Microsoft uh, almost five years ago now to start the first customer service platform that was built from the ground up for agriculture. And what we do at AgriSync is we allow farmers all around the world to have one touch access to their trusted advisors. And so if they're adopting a new uh, precision uh, practice, if they're you know, getting in the cab for the first time this spring to be greeted with a monitor that might have some errors on it, or if they're trying to determine an agronomic issue and whether or not they should spray or not spray, uh, we allow them to basically have one-touch access to their network of experts. Again, those experts might be from their equipment dealer, their you know, precision provider, their agronomy input provider, Uh, We allow them to have one-touch access to those experts through a phone call, a text, or a live video session uh, because our feeling is that their time matters and we don't want them to have downtime because they're, you know, something's broken. So think about our own lives, right? When we surround ourselves with technology, the likelihood that some of that technology might break goes up. And, you know, the the time a farmer has is is time-sensitive and valuable. And we don't want a farmer sitting at the corner of a field, uh, you know, frustrated with the in-cab monitor because they can't, you know, make something work. And so what we allow is for them to be able to have uh, great customer service from the trusted advisors that they have come to rely on. So it essentially sounds like there's two types of users for this platform. There's the advisors or the experts, and then there's also the producers. How does implementation then work for those two groups of people? If I'm a farmer... How do I make sure that all of my advisors are using AgriSync as a network or a way to communicate with me? You bet. You bet. Oftentimes, farmers are in, use our service from the companies that they already know and work with. So, again, we have over 250 companies in the U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K. that use our service. And part of what they're doing is they're using our service to make their experts more efficient. Right? It's expensive to have to drop everything and drive to the farm to push two or three buttons to get a person back up and running. It's expensive to have to you know, service some of this technology. And so we allow those agribusinesses, those experts in those agribusinesses to provide awesome customer service at a fraction of the cost. Farmers can use our service for free. So farmers can either download our free app on iOS or Android. They can call the the hotline of their local trusted advisor, or now new this year, they can text in a request. And when they do so, not only do we alert one advisor, we advise, alert a team of experts. 
And so think about today, if you're a, a farmer out there and your sole lifeline, if you will, to uptime in the field is one person's cell phone. Well, and you call them up and what do you get? You get voicemail. With AgriSync, when you call in to a service provider that's using our tool, we simultaneously ring a team of experts, increasing the odds that you're going to get a live person who can solve your issue immediately. And if they don't pick up, we create a digital ticket and we make sure that your issue gets resolved. So part of what we're doing is, for the farmer, reducing downtime, Mm -hmm. reducing the frustration, and making it super easy for them to ask for help. Again, depending upon their generation, right? They could ask (laughs) for help through a free mobile app, through a phone call, or through a text. And for that expert advisor, we've allowed them to provide rock star customer service at a fraction of the cost and allowing them to do so with field service experts, people who typically aren't sitting behind a desk. You know, they're out and about trying to help farmers. And uh, the reality is it's illegal to clone those experts, right? Uh, even though we'd love to do so during planting season or harvest season. So we allow those experts to scale their expertise and, and hopefully provide a better customer service experience to the, to the producer. Yeah, absolutely. Customer service is essential in all industries. Um, Casey, I've got maybe an application type of question for you. So obviously the, the text and the phone call, that's great. That usually works as long as you've got good service. But what about the live video stream? I know, I mean, Looking back at my parents' farm, we have the world's crappiest internet. I mean, they basically shouldn't have it or pay for it. But do you run into those issues where you have farmers that want to do live video, but they don't have the internet access or the broadband capabilities to work with their trusted advisors? Certainly in the early days, that was a challenge. I will tell you that today in the state of Iowa, at least about 93% of the state has some level of 4G access on our phone. So again, the majority of the time we're doing this type of video support uh, through your smartphone. And uh, ironically, in a lot of places, you know, our smartphones have better connectivity than maybe some of our uh, rural homes do. Um, but we do some special things inside of AgriSync to use less bandwidth than traditional kind of consumer tools that are out there. Um, And that allows, again, for us to provide a visual validation so that your expert advisor, even if he's two hours away, can see exactly what you're using or doing and be able to step you through that, hopefully be able to solve that in five or 10 minutes as opposed to you waiting for them or them having to make an expensive trip to the farm. Uh, But connectivity continues to improve. Mm -hmm. We're obviously big advocates and we love to see some of the things that are happening uh, in terms of, you know, the broader effort around rural broadband. Um, But we also, again, provide multiple ways to get support today. And and again, uh, but visual validation is a big part of our service, this ability to see the problem, solve it, um, and really to have that trusted advisor be almost sitting in the cab with you uh, or walking the field with you has been a, a big benefit. Yeah, I mean, from a an expert or advisor standpoint, that would save a lot of time and money if I don't have to be there in person to f- help fix their problems, especially like on the technology side of things. It, Casey, do you see this type of platform like AgriSync or um, maybe moving to that type of distance help and that's maybe not the best term for that but as consolidation continues in the industry do you see this type of platform being the future for agriculture 
Well, we definitely see that in agriculture, we've got a lot of technology, and then we've got these experts who are often not right next to us, right? And there's a shortage of those experts. By the way, if you're a young person listening and you're thinking about a career, we would highly encourage you to think about, you know, a, a support or, you know, a pro- profession where you can actually be one of the experts. Um, and so, you know, we definitely see that this shortage of the human capital is an ongoing challenge in our industry and globally. And so what we do is we take the time and the distance out of the equation. And so we do have experts that are helping people from, you know, around the world. I would say most of the the connections that farmers use are with their existing service provider, right? They're connected to their ag equipment dealer, their precision ag specialist, the person at the co-op. And if you talk to most farmers, they have these people today on speed dial, right? The four or five people that they count on to run their organization and to help them. A lot of farmers have these existing contacts on speed dial. What we're doing is allowing them to have a more responsive approach, a more accountable approach, and to be able to take advantage of the fact that we're all carrying around these fancy smartphones. And what we want to do is enable those uh, experts to be able to see things, to solve things, to have more tracking and accountability, to provide proactive education tips. Uh, So kind of beyond just this ability to solve issues, we also allow those experts to push out proactive tips and education to their farmers in a timely fashion. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great component of that tool too. Casey, before I let you go, for our listeners uh, tuning in right now that are producers, again, it's a free app. So please share with us again how folks can get connected and download the app if they'd like to use it on their operation. Yeah, so you can certainly visit us at agrisync.com and there you can text the free mobile app to yourself. If you're a farmer, you can also just go on your smartphone and the app store of your choice and search AgriSync. And again, it's a free mobile app to download there. You'll be able to invite uh, your trusted advisors and you can invite them in. They get a free trial of the service. If you happen to be an agribusiness or an expert listening to this and part of your job is to solve problems, to teach, to educate, and you're this time of the year wondering how you could get some efficiency in your time and scale your expertise, you can sign up for a free trial of our service at agrisync.com. Awesome. Casey, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us and keep up the great work. You know, part of what we welcome is a strong technology ecosystem and uh, we really appreciate the work that you guys are doing, highlighting some of the innovation. And uh, again, we're happy to be a, a part of that equation, focusing on the human element. Well, again, that was uh, Casey there with AgriSync. Really interesting stuff. And, you know, it doesn't really maybe go outside the box of something super new and innovative. But I I think it's just cool that he's able to help connect farmers with some of their expert advisors and helping them as maybe ag becomes more consolidated and we see folks or advisors move further and further away from us, being able to connect with them on a platform like this. Absolutely. You know, let's let's use this technology that we have and bring more expertise to the field. I mean, that's a win and deal all the mm-hmm. way around. Absolutely, Mike. It sure is indeed. Well, Delaney, why don't you tell us where our listeners can go if they want to get caught up on past podcast episodes? Absolutely. We 
have all of our podcasts on podcast directories, including, I think we're maybe on Spotify. I think I resubmitted that now, but we're on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And you can always find us at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. All of our past episodes are there. And if you want to interact with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter to offer us your, your thoughts, your comments, the people that you think we should be bringing onto the podcast. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 